We have two readings today. The first is from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt round his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And the second reading is Mark chapter 11, verses 11 to 33. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When the evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, 
Was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. They discussed it amongst themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they feared the people, for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. This is the word of God. Well, hello, if you haven't met before, my name is Simon, uh, Simon Dixon. I'm one of the staff members here at church. Uh, great to see you all here today. Um, if you could keep that open on page 1016, um, that'd be very helpful for us. Um, before we begin, should we pray? The words of Psalm 119 say, I run in the path of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding. And so, Father, we do pray that for ourselves today. Father, we don't just want for ourselves as a church obedience, but joyfully running obedience, running in the path of your commands. And so, Father, please, this morning, broaden our understanding. Uh, Father, please uh, protect us from stubbornness this morning, pride, fear, Lord. But, Father, please give us soft hearts that we might listen to your voice, uh, hear, Lord, and obey. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Well, it's lovely to be back here. Um, I was away last Sunday, just got back from a a lovely holiday down in Devon. Um, Great week to pick. We had that heat wave. Um, It was lovely. And uh, yeah, recently we drove down there, my wife and I, um, her family have a little kind of holiday place down there. Um, We go to most years. And when we drive, um, I generally like to be in charge of the directions when we drive. Uh, I have a very good relationship with Google Maps. Um, However, in my experience, Devon doesn't seem to cooperate so well with Google Maps. Okay, I think Devon was last updated by the Doomsday book on Google Maps, so um, it's very uh, easy to lose your way. So a not uncommon experience for us when we're uh, driving Devon might be something like this. Okay, so we're trying to find our cottage, and our cottage is at the end of the lane, turn left, opposite a big cow field. Um, My wife says to me, "Um, you need to turn left here. Google Maps says go straight on. Hmm. Well, Google Maps and I have a very healthy relationship, so of course I go straight on. And my wife says, "Uh, I've been here every year since I was a child. It's back there on the left. I say, no, 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 it's straight on. It's straight on. I'm in charge. Straight on. No, I'm going. After a while, we drive straight on until we end up. We run out of road and we're on the beach or a cow field, something like that. So eventually, my wife will say to me, darling, stop. Do you trust me? Yes. Will you put me in charge? Yes. Do you trust me? Yes. Okay. Yes, I'm going to turn around and trust you. A totally hypothetical scenario, of course. Of course, I'm sure as you can imagine. But why do I tell us this? In a sense, that's an illustration of what like repentance is. Repentance is turning to trust God. So in faith, being obedient to God, it's changing because you trust God. So repentance is um, central for us understanding what's going on in this passage today. Today we're going to focus on the uh, end of chapter 11, verses 27 to 33. And repentance is crucial for understanding what's going on. Has it ever struck you as odd uh, when you read the Gospels that the Jewish religious leaders are always so against Jesus in the Gospels? Does that strike you as odd? So in the Gospels, the people who generally tend to flock towards Jesus are the, um, the immoral types, like the corrupt tax collector 
those type of people generally kind of flock to Jesus, whereas the people who can't stand him and hate him are the religious leaders. Has that ever struck you as odd? Now, I know those of us who are, um, you know, been around Christian things for a while or know the Gospels quite well, that's just quite a familiar scenario for us with the religious leaders in the Gospels. But it is odd when you think about it. You know, these, um, these teachers of the law, these chief priests, these are guys who know their Old Testaments really well. You know, they know the big prophecies in Isaiah. They know the prophecies in Malachi. They know to expect a savior from Bethlehem, born in Bethlehem. You know, they know these prophecies. And yet when Jesus comes, most of them have absolutely no idea that they don't click with him. Why? Well, the answer is they don't want to repent. They don't want to repent because they've got a lot to lose. So they're, you know, they're the religious leaders. They're the ones who have been supposed to be telling everyone how it is with God and how to live. And they've got it wrong. And so they don't want to repent like John the Baptist told them to. They don't want to change. They want to be in charge. What they want, they want religion, but they want religion on their own terms. So John the Baptist comes along and preaches to them repentance, and they won't. Jesus comes, preaches repentance, they will not. So they just, they can't get along with Jesus, they can't comprehend him. More than that, they start to hate him, because they won't repent. They won't change, they're too stubborn proud, and fearful. Um, so a bit of context to just orientate ourselves where we are. We're beginning today a new sermon series um, in Mark's Gospel. Uh, so Mark's Gospel is a biography. It's written by one of the eyewitnesses of Jesus about his life. And Mark opens up, as you had read in chapter 1, with this guy, John the Baptist. So John the Baptist, uh, it's very important for us to understand Mark's Gospel. He's the last of the Old Testament prophets, the Old Covenant prophets, He's sent by God, and his job was to prepare the way for the Messiah who would come to bring both judgment and salvation. He would prepare the way for this. And he prepares the way for this Messiah by preaching repentance. He's telling people to turn from their sin, to confess it, and trust in God so they can be forgiven. So those people who listened to John, they, those were the people who, when Jesus came along, they flocked towards him. The people who didn't listen to John just wouldn't accept it. Those are the people who just can't get Jesus when he comes along. They they end up hating him. So if you accepted John's message, you're ready for Jesus. And so you see that all the way through Mark's gospel, so the same message of repentance for some people, that brings judgment because they don't like it. And for others, it brings salvation because they listened and they repented. So the section we're in now and will be in um, for the next uh, few weeks is chapters 11 to 12, and it's called the temple section. So Jesus is spending time in the temple, and the temple in Jesus' day was where we're supposed to be seeing the heart of kind of religious life and practice in Israel, faith and worship. But Jesus, when he turns up, what he sees is faithless worship. He sees kind of like leafy religion. It's like a, a leafy but fruitless tree. There's lots of talk and show. But in the reality, the stuff that matters, there's no substance. 
So Jesus comes, he enters the temple, and he brings judgment on it. So if you have a look back to 11 verse 15, so this is really important for understanding our passage. 11 15, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. So he comes in, and it's a dramatic scene. He comes in, he turns all these t- tables over in this temple court. Um, it's, it's a big statement. It's a statement of um, passionate judgment. This is a judgmental action. He's, he's not just um, uh, disapproving on it. He's positively judging the kind of religious life going on inside there by his actions. But more than just his actions, so verse 17, it's what he says that these religious leaders are going to hate. Verse 17, as he taught them, he said... Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. So these are words, he's quoting Jeremiah here from the Old Testament. And these are words of judgment on faithless temple worship. And these, um, these, these religious leaders who are there, who are listening to it, they know their Old Testaments. They know he's preaching judgment against them. So here, Jesus hasn't just been cleansing the temple He's been condemning the temple. And as he entered the temple, Jesus was giving a very strong and clear message to the religion inside. He's saying to these guys, guys, if you will not repent, you will be judged. And so for the rest of the section, that sets the tone, the atmosphere for what's going on in our uh, section today. So our section today will be in verses 27 to 33, just these six verses. And so the rest of our time, um, we'll move quite quickly through the narrative, um, get our understanding of what's going on in the dialogue, and then spend a bit longer just considering the implications for us at the end. So two points if you're a note taker. Um, the first one is we have this question of heavenly authority, and then secondly we have a faithless answer, and then we'll consider application. So firstly, they come to, these religious leaders come to him with questions of authority. So if you look at verses 27 to 28 with me, As he's talking about Jesus and his disciples. Uh, they arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? They asked. Who gave you authority to do this? So this is the next day, and Jesus is back in the temple courts where he created such a scene just the day before. And he has basically a reception party this time. So we're told it's the three groups. You have the chief priests, teachers of the law, and the elders. So in the um, Sanhedrin, or the kind of ruling um, Jerusalem courts, these are basically the three big bigwigs, the three big groups that make it up. So these three together are like the highest legal body in Jerusalem, and uh, Jerusalem religion. So this is a, it's a major move by the three of them coming together um, to talk to Jesus publicly and challenge him. It's a big move. It's a bit like saying today that the leaders of the the Anglicans, the Baptists, and the Roman Catholics came to confront someone publicly. Um, It's a big statement. And you see, um, they ask him this question in verse 28. By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you authority to do this? So they're not not asking him, um, excuse me, sir, do you have your membership card? Um, this This is a punchy question they're asking him. Um, it's a uh, state publicly, why are you doing what you're doing in the temple? So it's the, the same kind of atmosphere you might get at a particularly fiery episode of question time, 
or um, you know, a, a very hostile press to a politician. Um, this is a punchy atmosphere. It's hostile. It's a, it's a, who on earth do you think you are, Jesus? Who on earth are you to judge what's going on in here? Who are you? And what they want him to do, they want him to make a claim about himself explicitly. They will lead to his arrest and so they can kill him. That's what they want. So it's, it's a fiery, intense atmosphere we've got here. It's hostile. It's, it's the kind of question people can bring the same to Christianity or Jesus today. It's a, who are you to judge? Who are you to judge how I conduct my religion? Who are you? What gives you the kind of authority to say my type of religion is wrong or my conduct in my religion is wrong? Who are you to do that? Is that kind of question that's going on. So Jesus replies, verse 29, he says, I'll ask you one question. Answer me and I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. So he's not dodging the question here. What in the back in the day, it was a normal part of um, rhetoric to answer a question by, answer, by asking another question. So he is here giving his answer, but he's giving it as another question. And so basically his question, what he's saying is to them is, why didn't you believe John? Why didn't you believe John? So when John preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, why didn't you believe him? Why don't you believe that his authority was from heaven, from God? That's what he's throwing back to them publicly. And this question just really kind of skewers them. (laughs) They're just left kind of handcuffed by it, really. Because either the straight answer they give is going to hurt their pride because they're admitting they were wrong about John and they should now change their opinion and repent. It's going to hurt their pride. Or on the other hand, it will fuel their fear because they can give the kind of answer they actually um, felt and they'll lose the popularity of the people who did actually believe John. So they feel really kind of skewered by this question. And Jesus here is making a point about himself. What Jesus is saying is that his authority is just the same as the authority of John. It's from God. So Jesus is saying to them, listen guys, you didn't get on board with John. You're not going to get on board with me. Both sent from heaven. So the religious leaders, they come to him and ask him, who do you think you are? And he replies, I have heavenly authority. What do you make of that? So now you know, the ball's back in their course. And behind all their religious looks, their titles, their answer is faithless. It's just a pathetic, faithless answer they give. Verse 31 So they discuss it among themselves and say, well, if we say from heaven, he will ask them, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they fear the people. For everyone held that John really was a prophet. So the answer to Jesus, we don't know. Jesus said, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. This is hilarious. They go off and have this kind of group discussion, this group huddle. and think this is the most powerful minds in the temple of the day. This is like, you know, a kind of cabinet meeting, cobra meeting. And what they think of, okay, if we say John equals sent from God, well, it's obviously we didn't think that because we didn't listen to him and change. But if we say John equals just a bloke, just a normal guy, well, we'll lose the support of all the people who who believed in him. So it's catch-22. So their answer is, we don't know 
which is ridiculous. It's a pathetic answer, more than pathetic. It's actually a lie. We know it's a lie. They've just said what they think. They make a public lie not to lose support from the people. They refuse to publicly acknowledge their disbelief. And so their answer shows they have no faith in Jesus. They have none, these guys. So Jesus then refuses to answer their own ingenuine question to trap him, though he's inferred it very clearly to their understanding. He refuses to kind of publicly and say that because his time has not yet come. Chapter 14, just a few days later, he will publicly say it when his time has come for his death, but it's not yet now. So you see that they come to him with this kind of punchy question, we're going to trap you, and he just turns the tables back on them. Both actually literally turns the tables on them and also metaphorically. But kind of what we have here is more than just a um, a rhetorical victory or um, more than a debating grand slam. You can imagine if it was today, it would be, you know, viral on the BBC video player afterwards in a kind of uh, videoized debate type of thing. It's more than that. He's actually got lessons to teach his disciples. So his disciples who saw that and the onlooking crowd, he's got three big lessons for them. He's got three big lessons. One, don't put God in the dock. Two, Beware religious leaders who are blind. And three, weigh facts and not consequences. So we'll consider those three in turn. There's, um, I think there's two stab points in your handout if you're a note taker. You'll need to add a third. So firstly, don't put God in the dock. So these people, they come to Jesus with a punchy question because they want to trap him. But actually they are left trapped publicly by Jesus and under his judgment. So the tables have turned on them. So it does mean for us, I think we need to be very careful of the attitudes with which we come to Jesus. Be very careful of the attitude that puts God in the dock where we act as judge. So it's worth asking ourselves, what's our attitude to Jesus or bits of Christianity, commands of God, that we don't like? Do we have an attitude of putting God on trial? Do we have an attitude of defeating him with my words and my logic? Actually, one friend of mine about a year ago was very honest to say to me, um, uh, he wasn't a Christian at the time, um, he, when he came to church or to hear a Christian talk, he said, I, I went to them to, um, to prove to them that's, that it's wrong. I want to prove to them that's wrong. Every point, I want to show them it's wrong. That's why he turned up. Of course, don't mishear me on this. Um, Of course, we do live in a culture of putting authorities in the dock. And it's a good thing, you know, that we live in a society where no one is above accountability. That is a good thing. It's very good that we have a press who keep public servants accountable. Investigative journalism is very uh, useful, helpful in uncovering corruption. You know, if that's in the police or politics or even in church leadership, that would be a very good, healthy thing. Don't mishear me on that. Nor is Jesus saying here you need to throw your brain away to become a Christian and just be unthinking. He's not saying that. What he's talking about is the attitude we come to him with. We've got to be careful of coming with the attitude of being the judge over Jesus, the judge over God. Because that's a bad attitude to approach him with, a closed-minded attitude, because that will only end with the tables turned on you and in judgment. So we can easily think that we're the, um, the jury with these cases, you know, this command, what do I make of that? I'm the jury, I'm the prosecutor, I'm even the judge. 
but it will never end that way. We will see the tables will be turned when we have to give an account. So please do ask questions of Christianity. Be a thinking person, be a thinking uh, questioner about Jesus, but be careful of the attitude that we come to him with. Are we open to him or closed? So don't put God in the dock. And secondly, beware of religious leaders who are blind. So I think that's got to be the application from this. What we're seeing today is beware of any label of a religious leader, of even a Christian religious leader, any label that they have. But if they do not recognize who God sends, if they do not recognize God's prophets, be very wary of them. It is very striking, isn't it? The very people you'd expect to most get Jesus and, and get on board with him from, his, his te- uh, from the teaching of the Old Testament, they're the very ones who are actually utterly blind to his identity. Utterly blind. So it means a religious leader, even a Christian leader, can, they can look the look, they can walk the walk, they can give the talk, they can have written books, published websites about it, and yet they can still have the capacity for great blindness. So you think about, and if you, the disciples back here watching this in the temple court scene, for them as they went on in their ministry and their lives as Christians on from there, their expectations would be set. You think of the book of Acts. These guys, they get hostility, even imprisonment from these same authorities. So I think the application for those of us who are Christians has got to be to be wary. Actually, in any religious group, even a Christian denomination, there can be a capacity for great blindness a blindness on the very basics of the authority of God-sent prophets, uh, Messiah, and apostles. So it shouldn't shock us when we see it. Oh, it's sad, of course, but it shouldn't shock us. So be very wary of those who have a Christian profession but have no reality, where it's all leaf with no fruit. And then thirdly, And lastly, weigh facts, not consequences. So we see here, for the religious leaders, it's interesting, when they go off in their huddle and they discuss, truth is not the issue. Truth is not what they're concerned with. They're worried about the consequences of what they say. So they don't go off and genuinely discuss John's authority. um, And, you know, they're not going into a huddle to weigh up the facts about them, about Jesus' authority. What they discuss are the consequences of being found out. And what they're worried about, they're being driven by, is their pride and their fear. Pride. Because if they give the right answer to Jesus, that is, that John was sent from heaven, they're going to have to admit they've been wrong. It's going to be humbling for them to admit they got it wrong. They're going to have to publicly change their life. People are going to notice about them, that, that about them. And fear. If they give the answer they've actually been living by, that John's basically just a bloke, well, they're going to be scared about what everyone else will say about them. So we see they're not worried about the consequences, and so they're not opening themselves up to the facts to, to respond to Jesus in faith and trust. No, what they're fearing is consequences. 
So for us, being more concerned with the consequences of obeying Jesus rather than the facts of his authority, do you see that ends up being a fatal position to be in? So I think it does mean for us being very careful of pick and mix Christianity. You're just picking and choosing the bits of Christianity, the commands of Jesus we're going to obey. Because what should be frightening here about these guys is, I know um, if we're used to the Gospels, we can see these categories of religious leaders and think of like, you know, Lord Voldemort and a dog collar type of, you know, these um, Disney baddie type of figures. But no, these guys would have been genuinely quite friendly, nice guys who knew their Bibles and their Old Testaments really well. But what they liked was the bits that were on their terms. And so they couldn't stand John. They couldn't stand Jesus. So you can't have pick-and-choose Christianity with God's commands, even with his apostles, certain books of the Bible. So I've got a friend, and um, we were reading through a gospel together, and his comment um, after reading through um, Mark's gospel was, oh, I really like John. Um, John's a really nice guy. He's quite humble, and he's pointing to Jesus all the time. I like John. I, I can get on board with him. But Jesus is just, he's got a big ego. I don't like that. I don't like his egocentricness. It's not unusual to hear someone say, um, well, I like Jesus, but I can't stand the Apostle Paul. Or, you know, I like the kind of nice and kind Jesus, but I don't like the judgy Jesus, the overthrowing the temples and causing a big, a big scene Jesus. Or, you know, I like the command, um, love your neighbor and pray for those who persecute you. I like that, but I don't like, don't steal, keep the marriage bed pure. So I pick and choose. So be very careful of that. Because do you see, what we make of the sent reveals what we make of the sender. Do you see, our view of Jesus and his commands just reveals what we make of the Father who sent him. What we make of, the apost- of the, um, John the Baptist reveals what we make of the Father who sent him. What we make of the Apostle Paul and his writings reveals what we make of the Father who sent him. So for those commands of God that we know that we we just don't want to engage with because we don't want to change, we don't want to repent and turn our lives around, can we be honest with why that is? Is it that we're genuinely thinking through questions of, well, I'm not quite sure how this applies to modern life or just thinking through how it applies to my business or my use of the internet or um, I'm just thinking through these, you know, the validity of scripture and what I make of the New Testament Um, important questions to think through can you be honest is that it please don't lie because you don't want to give a straight answer to Jesus don't be in these guys shoes see these guys are left in a perilous position their hearts get hardened and they get judged it's not a good place to be so is it very easy to do though so if I know that getting serious with Jesus teaching Getting serious about his command is going to mean I'm going to have to change. It's very easy just to say, well, I'm just not going to engage. Um, I'm going to mentally switch off. Um, you know, mentally, I'm miles away in Green Park. Um, it's very easy to do that. And it's often we can hear someone say, um, well, I'd love to have um, their faith, but I just, I just can't. I just can't have that faith. When really it's just, I just won't. Are we honest about that? 
because Jesus is trying to make it very clear to us today the kind of authority he has. Jesus is revealing to them his identity, if only they will see it. Even these religious leaders will see his identity today. They can turn back in faith. It's kind of like, um, I used to watch when I was younger this program called The Secret Millionaire. Um, Did anyone ever watch that on Channel 4? Um, it's a, uh, you get these kind of millionaires who go kind of incognito um, to a much poorer town than they're used to, a place where they're not known by anyone, and they're given kind of three different people groups in the community to spend time with. You know, they might spend time with an OAP home, an orphanage, um, a children's charity, something like that. And at the end, they've got to choose who they're going to give their money away to. And they're going to give tens of thousands of pounds away. You know, enough money to really change things for someone. And the best bit of the show, or if you're going to watch it, just fast forward through to the end to see this, is the bit when the, um, the secret millionaire reveals who they are to these people. You know, reveals their identity. You know, I'm, I'm, I can give you £100,000 for, um, for your work. And so the millionaire always has to work out a way to tell these people who just think they're a regular bloke um, who they are. And often they just think it's an April Fool's joke. <laughs> And they need a bit of persuading who, who the secret millionaire is. But you see, it's similar. Jesus is at that point where he, he's trying to reveal to them his identity and the goodness of what he can bring, even the, the forgiveness of sins that this repentance can bring them, if only they will see it. So any of us here today who are aware there's an area of my life I've been pushing Jesus away from, even my entire life I've been trying to distance myself from Jesus in this area, distancing myself from the command of an apostle in the scriptures. See, that, that, does make, that does show what you make of the Father. If you push them away, you're pushing him away. If you reject them, you're rejecting him. So picking and, and choosing our religion, that leads to a perilous and fatal position to be in. Please don't be like that. Jesus stands there with open arms, revealing his identity. He wants to shower you with grace and forgiveness by his death on the cross. So will you repent and trust in him? Will you change, like John the Baptist said, like Jesus says? Will you do that today? So don't be like these religious authorities. They're just too um, proud and fearful to change. And so they lie about what they won't. They're, They're lying to themselves and everyone else. It's interesting, that, that friend of mine who said he only came to the church stuff to try and prove it wrong. Actually, interesting, a year later, he'd now called himself a Christian. He's realized, actually, he was messing with the wrong person, with Jesus. He knew he needed him. That's pretty humbling to admit, to start coming to um, hear, a, uh, hear from Jesus with a completely different attitude, to humble himself and repent. It was humbling for him, but at the same time, it was utterly wonderful it's utterly wonderful because anyone who repents will find salvation, find Jesus as their saviour and not their judge. Jesus is their saviour who died for them so they don't need to be judged. So will you repent? Will you trust Jesus and change your life? Anyone who does can have full forgiveness. Should we turn to pray? So a moment of quiet to reflect and then I'll lead us in prayer. Father in heaven, we want to believe and trust in your authority, Father, the authority of your son, the Lord Jesus, the authority of the scriptures, the apostles and prophets who wrote them. Father, please lead us into turning and changing, repenting and believing. 
Father, for all of us, where, if we're aware of one particular area of our life where we need to change, please, Lord, give us grace to repent. Father, any here who are aware that um, they're not, not actually Christian believers, Father, please give them saving grace that they might turn from their sins and change to trust in you and ask for forgiveness. Father, please protect us from the hardness of these religious leaders. And please, by your grace, may we understand who you are, Father, and where your authority is from. May we live that out in our lives. And we pray this for your glory, Father. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.